0: Welcome to the Maintainable Software Podcast, where we explore the art of improving existing software with seasoned practitioners who have helped organizations work past the problems often associated with technical debt and legacy code. I'm your host, Robbie Russell. On this episode, Stephanie Brazil, who is the co founder and educator at HexDevs, co creator of the Get to Senior online course and community, and most recently joined Thoughtbot as a senior developer. Stephanie joins us today from beautiful British Columbia in Canada. Stephanie Brazil, we're so glad to have you join us today on Maintainable. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Robby. I'm so excited that we finally made it happen. It's been, you know, a couple of months of rescheduling, but we made it.
0: It looks like we've made it. So as you reflect on your experience in the industry, what do you believe are a few characteristics of, dare I say, well-maintained software?
1: Yeah, I think the main characteristic that I see from my experience so far is the conventions are agreed before anyone starts coding anything. It doesn't mean you can't explore the code base or, I mean, if it is an existing code base or you can't explore some other tools to help the problem, but whatever it is that the project is going to be used for, The conventions have to be agreed before. I don't know if that's something that most people think about it, but my take on this is that most of the problems could have been solved if at least someone had written down any decisions or had communicated all of these things that You know, when you see a new code base, you're like, oh my God, why did someone did this? Now we we can't do this other thing that would make our lives easier. So that's my take on this.
0: (laughs) Do you use the metaphor technical debt very often?
1: Yeah, I think it's one of these terms where it facilitates the communication, right? You, You ask about it, I know what you mean.
0: Do you find that your your understanding or how you would describe it has has evolved throughout your career and how would you describe it to someone like a new junior developer coming into the into this industry now like what is technical debt do you see yourself or other people use it in a way that you're like well I wouldn't necessarily describe it as technical debt
1: to go to the beginning of the question, I do think my understanding and my perspective about tech debt has changed over time. I used to be, uh, especially in the beginning, I was just mostly worried about how, OK, this code this has to be good, has to be easy to refactor, to change later. What if we need this and this and this in the future? And I wasn't super worried about the more urgent needs of the changes that I was doing. And so right now, the way I see is everything is a trade-off. And am I aware of those trade-offs right now? And what that means is it's almost impossible to tackle everything that you want when you are doing a feature that needs to be done soon you know someone is waiting or it's critical for the success of a project I think right now I see it has something that is part of my my process and it means that at least for me it's my job to document those things that I want to improve once it's possible and and then we can touch on this later like when it's possible because that's where the problem lies i think and also the other thing that has changed my perspective around tech debt is most projects that have lots of tech depth are the ones that are generating revenue uh, the ones who start from the beginning thinking like okay this is going to be the best software out there I don't know many of them who have lots of user, users, like I might be wrong here. So if anyone knows that, please send them over to me.
0: One of the, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always thought about with regard to technical debt is my understanding or like in having seen a lot of developers that have worked for, for my company over the years is seeing how they their understanding might evolve in terms of there seems to be this like era period in someone's career where they start to feel very confident about their decisions. I think early on as a software developer, you're probably always second and third guessing yourself and maybe hoping someone might point you in the right direction if you're not quite sure between, I can go between A, B, or C options. And then there's a point where you get more confident. And then you start to get opinionated about the way things should be. And then you start being like, oh, that that code that someone else wrote in this project five years ago is wrong. That's tech debt. We need to fix it because it's wrong. And then the question took a take then it takes a while for them to go, oh, but is it worth changing or not? Is it actually, is it is something I disagree with? Or is it something that I need to change very often? Do I have to interact with this very much? Am I having to work around it on a regular basis? Or has it been sitting there kind of just doing its thing and provides value? and it's not broken. It just could be maybe done differently. And it's not necessarily causing a bunch of side effects because it exists. Right. And so that's what I always think about is like, is that technical debt? Cause I don't think that's technical. That's just like a different pattern or a different approach or, and we can't always maybe afford for better or for worse to go back. And that was an old pattern we did 10 years ago and we should update everything to the latest and greatest version of whatever we can do within Ruby on Rails or whatever tech stack you're using. And that's always like an interesting, again, as you're saying, trade-offs you have to make. And I was speaking with a, I'm not on the podcast, but I was speaking with a fairly experienced Ruby on Rails developer the other day. And he was saying that cause he does, he's done a lot of consulting over the years and he's like, I'll work on projects that have been around for it's like a 12 year old code base. He's like, I could tell you, you can throw me into a file I can probably guess with some accuracy what year most of that code was written in, based off of the approach. That might be some of the opinions or patterns might be in the code base. And I was like, "You're right. That there is like this kind of like long, and that's not bad. It's just like it's it's just like a, a a reality." So, anyway, that's what I was kind of kind of curious about as well. But what's your take on that?
1: What I can say about this is, I I I don't like to just say like, "Oh yeah." It's about trade-offs because that doesn't actually say anything, like it doesn't give you any directions or whatever. When you are, you know, under, I don't know, under a deadline or or something like that, thinking about trade-offs is not something that, even if you want to, if you are worrying about it, you won't be thinking about it clearly. So that's why I was thinking in the beginning, like those things have to be agreed before because you don't want to be making those decisions while you are under pressure and if you don't know what what are those conventions you will also try to decide this during the moment and that's I think that's where things get complicated because you don't know what to do at the time and you don't know when you are going to be able to fix that. And unless you don't care, you will also end the day feeling like, oh, I I don't like the direction this is going. So it's it's not good for anyone, right? I think it's good that we're having those places to talk about those things. I think it's good to have more awareness about this topic. And that reminds me that it was really great to meeting you at MenderCon because that was the first conference, the first MenderCon that I attended. And I was like, whoa, there are people who like to do these things that I like to do. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we are going in the right direction. And even the, the difference between Maker and Minder, I think that with those terminologies, It's also getting easier to start discussions around these topics. And also my experience so far has always been on the side of being a teammate. I have never been in a more, you know, manager position where I also have to coordinate with the client's needs, you know. So I just want to be aware of that. Like, okay, this is my experience as someone who just codes. I'm pretty sure it's also... Hard for everyone involved.
0: I know earlier you mentioned the uh, how important it is to be knowing that people are doing the best that they can when with the resources and time and constraints that they had at that point in time. And I feel like as an industry we need to keep repeating that in our head. It's okay. It's okay. They did the best they could. Like, what can we do now? Like, it is what it is. How do we how do we move this forward? We can't.
1: The <laughs> the only problem with that is that people who care don't think that about themselves, and people who don't care, they're like, ah, okay, yeah, whatever, I'll move to a different job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there you go, it's true. I, you know, when you talk about these, you had these two example scenarios where one, one environment, like things were well organized and documented, you can see that the, one of the people that started the project documented a lot of their decisions and things like that, and there's another one where the team morale was low, and there wasn't a lot of that were you able to make some productive headway there in terms of, and or can you share some experiences, things you attempted and or in retrospect, wished you could have explored that you, you didn't get to at the time? Like,
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I like the question because in the first example, I was really just getting started as a software developer. I still can't believe that was my my first experience ever One thing that I remember that worked really well was whenever we had a a decision, we would document this. I remember we were using Trello or something like that, and Google Docs. And I also remember super clear how comfortable and safe everyone felt at bringing problems and bringing issues. At the beginning, I was like, wow, isn't this person, like, afraid of saying things like that? So it's something that I still carry with me until these days. More recently, I was able to understand with more depth what that is, and that is uh, what we know today has workplace safety, something like that. And then I was like, oh, it's because everyone that worked there really cared about the product, about the clients. Because if you don't care about something, when you see something wrong, you don't talk about it. You're like, ah, this is not my problem. I'm not going to uh, solve it. Years later that I was able to understand that. In that first experience, I didn't have a lot of opportunities to actually you know, feel like I was part of that process. But I can say... That in the other experience, I had a hard time trying to bring new ideas to the team, and that was that led me to a constant period of personal conflicts with myself. Because I mean, personal, of course, is with myself, but um, it was hard to separate myself from from that, like, why why can't I change this? Why can't people agree with me on this? Like, why can't I make them see that pair programming is a good practice? Like, it's documented, it's, it's well proven, and all of that. That was a great opportunity for me to see that sometimes, depending where you are, it's not really possible to change, because most, most things have to come from the top, and it doesn't matter if you know, in your one-on-one, someone says you have the freedom to do that. If you don't see any of the leaders doing that, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's not going to work.
0: I think that's a psychological safety, right? And like in the workspace to feel like you could speak up or make suggestions or voice some dissent and, and knowing that you can have a, a healthy conversation or debate about something um, or at least be heard. Um, and considered before it gets dismissed. So I think definitely you can see how that could be a really challenging depending on your role or status in an organization or a lot of different elements that might come into play there. And then you're talking about a little bit about like if you you mentioned like pair programming, things like that, or experimenting with things as an organization. I was one of my other recent guests uh, is Casey Watts. I don't know if you're familiar with Casey or not, but he talks a lot about, how there are a lot of things that the individual can do to start trying to shift the culture a little bit, but you really need to like find your allies and peers to do that and be like, well, let's pair a little bit. We don't have, to. and we're remote now. So most of the time, I'm assuming you're working remote, but like, it's probably a lot easier to, you know, I'm air quoting, sneak in some pairing time with nobody seeing people like working at a desk together. Cause it's like, you're on a zoom chat together or using tuple or something like that's, you can, you could just do it. You don't have to ask for permission. Just, you know, just do those types of things now. But was that an in-person environment where you wanted to do things like that? or
1: This latest experience that I shared was in person. I just wanted to go back to what you, you were saying about talking with Casey. And I do agree. But it took me a while to understand that and see the differences between the two. A book that helped me a lot... With that was Fearless Change. I recommend this book for everyone. It's called Fearless Change, How to Patterns for Introducing Changes. It's really cool because, first of all, I understood why I failed, you know, when trying to adopt fair programming, for example. So the number one reason is no one cares what I think, what I want, people just want to change if they want to change. And my job as an evangelist for that idea is to show them by my actions and by the way that I work, that indeed, this new idea is good. And also, the other thing that I learned is that just because an idea is good, doesn't mean it's going to be accepted. And just because it's, it's accepted, it doesn't mean it's gonna be followed. And I was like, oh, okay, I understood now. It was really good for me to understand that. And the book kind of gives you those patterns that you can start really using so that you can do what Casey was saying, like, okay, you want to do pet programming, you want to do it, you know, it's going to make you a better professional. So don't ask or anyone to give you the time you just say hey do you want to pair and just having one person is the least I, I want I don't want to say requirement but you're gonna need someone to support you with that and if it is someone that at your job that you are more close close with the better because they will support you more and if you can find someone at your job that most people respect and you can convince them to bring to follow along with your idea you just need them to, to nod their heads or be in a meeting or something like that the, the people you know they will say oh this person that I respect is there okay so I I will pay attention to this um, so there are some small patterns that you can follow to introduce these changes and that's when things started getting better uh, for me, you know,
0: <laughs> so. No, I appreciate that. I'll definitely include links to the, was it Fearless Change in the show notes for the for listeners as well. One of the things I was curious about, because this is like a more of a recent development for you, is that you just recently joined a consultancy, Thoughtbot, which those in the Ruby on Rails community probably have heard of many times before, and we've had a few members of Thoughtbot on the podcast over the years, and I'll include links to those as well. Have you worked in a consultancy before?
1: So I have worked as a consultant with uh, Gregory Brown a few years ago. I don't know if you know him from practicing Ruby and the Prom PDF uh, Ruby Jam.
0: Okay, here you go.
1: But it was just like the two of us. But I really liked how close I was to the development, not only like the technical development, but kind of the business development of the project. Even though I have this experience as consultant, it's still a new new thing for me to be in a large consulting agency. So that has been a bit of a big change for me. And I'm really excited to see how things will go.
0: Hi there. Do you know someone who might be looking for assistance with their Ruby on Rails application? Planet Argonne would love to meet them. We're offering a $1,000 referral bonus. Send someone our way, and if they sign up for services with Planet Argonne, we'll give them a $1,000 discount. And in return, you'll get a check for $1,000 in the mail just for knowing the right person. Hop on over to planetargon.com referrals for more information and to refer someone our way. That's planetargon.com referrals. Thanks. So most of my experience is working on existing software. So projects that someone else started We've worked on projects where the, we were the for like startups a couple back in the day, but we haven't done that. Most of what we've done, like 97% of the projects we've ever touched, other teams have worked on. And we often, sometimes we get pulled into being a guest in another team's code base. So what do you believe is important to keep in mind when you first start diving into a code base? Because as, as a guest.
1: Yeah, I think having that, perspective when you join is is really crucial on how things will be moving forward. I think, you know, looking back in my experience, even though it wasn't as a consultant, but almost all of the code bases that I have worked at, I could consider myself a guest, because I didn't start them, they were already there. I think it's important to really understand Why did they come for support in the first place? What are they expecting to get out of this? What would success look like? And this one, what success would look like, it's actually from one of ThoughtBot's consulting uh, guidelines. And I think this is a really great way to start. But for me, it has always been like, okay, why why are we doing this like and why are we the ones working with you and not anyone else from all the consulting agencies why us so what is what is it about that we do that made you choose us and that can give you some directions on what they care what they need right now i also think it's really important to Drop that judgment perspective, because you know whatever it is in life after it happens, it's always easy to just say why you know why did you do this way? It's not just with cold, but I think that with cold specifically, we are too quick to judge. I'm not to say okay, (laughs) this is clearly really bad. The person didn't take the time to read anything, but they are like okay. Maybe the person was not being paid, you know maybe the person uh was having problems at home, whatever. so try to understand as much as you can from from what you can see and from this ex- exploration, write notes of the things that you you are like, "Oh, I wonder why this." is this way like i want to ask them have you considered this other option when when you were doing it because in case they have considered that perhaps they would answer you yes we did but we had this and this and this happening at the same time so it gives you uh the opportunities to have this holistic perspective of things
0: one of the things i wanted to make sure we touched on is can you tell us a little bit about your Get to Senior program? What is it? I'm so excited to learn more about this.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of the the best projects that I have co-created. I created with Tiago from Devs. We are both Devs, And Get to Senior is a really fun project, I would say. It was born from just seeing how many... Smart people, some of them that I knew who, you know, had lots of experience with software, like I'm pretty sure some of them are better developers than myself. And I would always meet with them. And I would see also this happening like online in communities and forums that I belong, that people were always like unsure what to do for their next steps. Or they didn't know why they haven't been promoted to senior level yet. They didn't think they had what it takes to be a senior developer. And so I was like, oh, okay. It's not super clear and it changes for everyone. But there are some people who have built great reputations from themselves. I was like, okay, can we kind of do some research on those people's experiences, backgrounds, and can we explore some patterns from there so that we can share those patterns with other people. So that's what we, we did. We interviewed 10 developers, 10 senior developers, others are team leads. And we interviewed them and we asked specific questions on what they did, what went well and what didn't. And then from those specific questions, we were able to extract those highlights from each one of them. And then we're like, okay, so this and this and this um, helped almost everyone. And this and this was also helpful for almost everyone. And so from these interviews, we also extracted some, some exercises and, yeah, so we put together all of this into the program called Get You Senior. So right now it's an online program. You can like sign up at any any moment. We also have a community where honestly it's my favorite part of it is to, to meet everyone. And yeah, I think that my goal is to give people who are really good developers more tools for them to you know, create the path for their careers and get out of this trap of just focusing on, on the technical skills and be asking, OK, uh, why am I not a senior yet? You know, I have finished this in this book or whatever, but I'm, I'm still doing the same things over and over. So the idea is to help them evaluate where they are and, and see what they can do next to take their careers to the next level.
0: I'm really curious about, you know, this whole career progression thing and like the literature and educational materials out there. There's this idea that if I'm going to become a software engineer and I'm going to get to create all these new fun things. I'm going to be building new projects all the time. I get to build the cool thing. I get to architect the thing. But most projects tend to have only so much space For so many people to do all the uh, ideation, decision-making, architecting, they're like, oh, wait, I'm just getting, I'm working on Tickets in JIRA or whatever. And I'm just, I'm fixing bugs, making, adding a couple new fields to a form, changing some data around. And it's like, is this all programming is? I thought it was going to be different. Have you noticed that at all? Or is there a, because I think of it as like, oh, it's just like an iterative where are we at? And like, you might work on different types of projects, but one of the reasons I like working in consultancy is that I get a variety of projects to work on. Um, so versus working at one company for a really long time and like, here's all the types of things we're going to be working on until someone leaves. There's going to be a void there. So yeah you know, what's, your, what's, your, what's your take on that?
1: So we have students from different backgrounds. We have people who had years of experience with another technology. So let's say C sharp for example, and then they moved to Ruby. So in a way it felt like they were studying again. And then we also have we have some people who have who works who work at agencies, but for some people working at agencies does don't seem to be a positive because some of them always do the same things over and over, even though the projects change. So I think that's where it varies a lot from person to person, right? I think that was our main uh, concern was, okay, how can we make this into something that at least can be used, can be applied to most people who fall into those more traditional Paths,
0: so I, I i actually honestly think that i feel like in some ways some of the way that we the, the culture i'm saying the broader culture not just the software industry and the way we talk about getting into tech is romanticized as like be super creative and be a programmer and you're gonna get to build all these new things and you be make a bunch of things and like the maker community and then then we that's what now we have this you know the, the mender thing, kind of being like, whoa, wait a minute, we're not all like that. Like I panic when I see like a blank slate. I'm like, ah, uh, what am I? I don't want to build a new thing. I'm I don't want to do that. I want to work on something that exists and make try to imp- see what I can improve about it. I don't want to build a new house. I want to like update an existing house. You know that's how my brain seems to work. So when people come in the industry, sometimes I'm like, well, that's really the job is like taking care of stuff. You don't usually get to start at a company and be there day one. Find creation within the small incremental pieces, I suppose.
1: Yeah, so what What do I, <laughs> what can I say about this romance, about joining tech? I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I suffered that as well. And it was, I think that was that's why I was so happy when I found out about this Mander community. Because I was like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. But for sure, I was also someone who believed that being tech was creating things and um, all of the time, you know, just creating, just creating, and that's it. And then after I joined the community, like professionally started working as a developer, I have always had existing code bases to work at. And... It took me a while to make that transition, like, mentally. Perhaps if I had started working on this, I would have done differently. But it doesn't matter. I'm here now. Um, and that's that's what matters now. What matters now? But I think, I don't know, We we go to college thinking, you know, that we are going to finish our college degree and we are going to be ready and our lives will be all solved all good and (laughs) you know we don't have to change anything and now we're like oh no nothing that I studied for is kind of useful here so I think it's also part of going from the studying for it to actually working with it
0: We'll be back with our interview with Stephanie in just a moment. Hi, it's me, Robbie. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for making time to listen to the Maintainable Software Podcast. And if you're finding these types of conversations valuable, please consider sharing a link amongst your peers on social media and help spread the word. Like, you can go do that right now. Or if you want to print some flyers and stick them up on a corner somewhere, or make some zines and just like, transcribe all these for me and then leave them in random coffee shops that could be pretty cool too you could do that if you wanted if you're motivated what are you doing with your day are you walking your dog are you taking your cat on a walk are you the type of person that puts the cat like on your shoulder and takes it for a walk in the park do you have a bird If you have a bird and you're listening to the Maintainable Software Podcast, you should let me know. Send a picture, actually, just like at tweet, you know, at underscore maintainable with a picture of you hanging out with your bird. Do you take your bird and your cat on a walk? All right, we should probably get back now to our interview with Stephanie Brazil. So how can, where can people learn more about the Get to Senior program? So did you say also that this would be most applicable to people with approximately three years of experience?
1: Yeah, that's what the program is for. We also have some people who are just getting started, and we let them know, uh, hey, this is for these people. There are some things that you can learn here, but it will probably be a lot of things for someone who's just getting started. So I would say it's really more suited for people who already have, more than at least three years of experience works in a team and, yeah, and have the time to to do it, which I know is hard, but, yeah.
0: (laughs) And where can we point to people to go find that?
1: Yeah, you can go to academy.hexdevs.com or if you go to hexdevs.com, we also have the links there.
0: Do you find it as simple to maintain software in an open source space as it is when you're working on a closed source project?
1: My experience maintaining an open source project has been kind of new, so I don't have yet lots of experience to talk about, but I do think you have to work on your communication way more. I I can give you an example here. There are, I believe, two open issues and one pull request and people are bringing up an issue and I was like, oh, I will have to take really the time to dig into this. like, And then I was doing, I was watching a, a lesson from Graceful Dev, like former Ruby Tapas, and they were talking and Avidi was sharing about faker and he mentioned a feature from faker that i was like whoa maybe those people don't know about this feature and then i could easily go there and say hey you didn't read the documentation or something like that like it's it's super easy to just do that but then i was like wait a minute if we have this and lots of different people are asking the same question the problem is not with them Right. And so I was like, oh, that's when you are like, why do people say the documentation is not important? Uh, But anyway, what I I just want to say is it is a little bit different, but I think that the, the skills are kind of you can transfer and communication. Good communication is good communication. You can use it. It's good for anything that you do. But I would love to touch more on this once I have both the experience with maintaining an open source project for more time and working at a bigger agency as well. So maybe we can come back to this point in a future episode.
0: Well, great. Well, two quick questions for you. Is there a non software programming, non, I'm air quoting, technical book that you recommend to people aside from Fearless Change?
1: Oh, I do, and I have. <laughs> I actually just bought the the second edition, it's called The Assertiveness Workbook. If I had one cent, uh, a dollar for every time I have recommended this book, <laughs> um, yeah, I would be rich by now. But this book also helps a lot with just expressing yourself and not feeling like you're gonna say something wrong or you know if it's hard for you to bring up something at work or even at your relationships and I mean work is a relationship in a sense this book really helps you to understand how to communicate assertively and not passively or aggressively or passive aggressively, which is one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm most used to see. And it's a workbook, so it will give you, like, exercises for you to practice. You are going to have to do the work. But it was really helpful for me to stand up for myself and do it in a way that, you know, okay, I'm being respectful. I'm not disrespecting you. Because that was my main concern. It was like, I don't want to be someone who, you know, is not uh, respectful of others. That's just a misunderstanding that being assertive is being disrespectful. And the book, the workbook, desmystifies all of that. And we interviewed the, the author at the Hexdevs podcast. It's one of our most popular episodes so far. Yeah, I would love to see more developers reading this book. <laughs>
0: Nice. Well, I'll definitely include a link to that in the show notes and check it out myself. I'm quite curious about that. And where can can listeners best follow your thoughts on software development online?
1: Yeah, so people can find me at my website. I have a blog as well, stephaniebrasil.me. And I'm also... On Twitter, but honestly, I'm not using it that much. Twitter is making it really easy for me not to enjoy using it anymore. So thank you, whoever is doing that. It's working great. But I'm mostly at my blog, although I haven't published in a while. But I'm also at some communities, like online communities. WNB.RB is one of my my favorites. It's one that I mostly uh, participate in. So yeah, that's where people can find me.
0: Excellent. Well, it's been such a delight having you join us on Maintainable, Stephanie. Thanks so much for stopping by to talk shop.
1: Thank you, Robbie. This was a hard conversation. I like hard conversations. So thank you.
0: Good. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, And yeah, thanks for coming on and we'll talk to you again in the future, I hope.
1: Yeah, see you next time. Thank you.